welcome back, Blockheads, to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at your table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And this week, we are talking all about player backgrounds. And the best part about it is we are joined by a guest, Chris Jackson, but he will be here shortly when we get to the meat of the episode. So hold on to that. Great author. If you haven't read any of his stuff, go and read it. Before we do that, we have to give a couple of shout outs to some of our faithful five-star reviews on iTunes. So Mitch, who is our first five-star review we are giving a review to? Our first one has taken our intro to heart. His name is Nate is a God, and his review is entitled DM Trickery, five stars. That's the phrase I most commonly hear from my players. It's all thanks to DM Mitch and DM Chris and the rest of the DMB crew for all the excellent inspiration, fun discussion, and insightful ideas that they provide. As a new DM, I immediately jumped into creating an entire world all of my own, and this podcast has made it all possible. And despite their needling about my DM trickery, I can always tell my players are having an awesome time. Thanks for everything and keep up the indispensable work. So thank you so much, Nate is a god. We appreciate that review. Our next one comes from Varanor, five stars, essential and inspiring. Thank you guys so much for existing. I listen to you at work, and it really keeps my mind buzzing with new possibilities while driving off the work night slog. I've been through each episode multiple times now, and I still find new inspiration each time. So, Varanor, thank you so much for your five-star review. Yeah, we thanks. greatly, greatly appreciate it. And with that, Mitch, you know what time it is. It's time to head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? The flight meat back on the menu, boys. <laughs> All right, so for the meet this episode, we are joined by Chris Jackson, award-winning author of fantasy and science fiction. He's the author of the Scimitar Seas series, Hellmaw, Dragon Dreams, and Pathfinder Tales books. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's going to be weird for me with two Chris's and talking to two Chris's, but we'll get through it, so... I'll just always assume you're talking to me. There we go. <laughs> so, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? I've been game. Well, first of all, about gaming. This is about gaming, right? So, I've been gaming um, longer than uh, most gamers today have been alive. I, I started gaming in 1978, back when D and D was still like one book. Uh, that was in high school, and uh, in uh, high school and college, I started playing other games: Top Secret, Gamma World, Traveler, things like that. I gamed intermittently in uh, grad school, actually met my wife GMing nice. a uh, big, long campaign. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. If you can marry a gamer, do it. Um, <laughs> nowadays, I pretty much play uh, Pathfinder, Shadowrun, a lot of other like smaller RPGs, uh, a lot of board games, stuff like that. I wrote my first uh, RPG tie-in novel with uh, Paizo in 2013, but I've been writing for quite a while, too. I uh, had a, about a 20-year career in science. I went, I'm a scientist, and uh, in uh, 2009, my wife and I decided to hang it up and go sailing for a while until the money ran out, and uh, the money didn't run out because the, the writing kind of took off, so now, uh, now we're sailing and writing and 
We'll keep doing that until we run out of water and books. That's awesome. Wait, so are you on a boat right now as you're writing this? No, I'm, I'm visiting oh, friends bummer. in the States. Uh, yeah, um, our boat is currently in Panama, the country, not Panama City, Florida. And uh, we're going to be heading back in about uh, about a month, a little bit less. And uh, so we kind of spend winters down there in the Caribbean. Yeah, it's a dirty job. Somebody's got to do it. Sorry. <laughs> and then in the summertime, we come back for uh, conventions and stuff, and stuff like that. Man, you're making me jealous, Chris. You're making me jealous. This sounds great. <laughs> so, so this is a, this is a question, not not that we were going to ask you before, but please tell me that you play the song "Panama" by Van Halen as you're sailing around. I really don't. Oh, <laughs> you got man. it now. You got totally it. should. Not, you have to. Not now. that not that I'm not a Van Halen fan, but uh, but I hadn't. I haven't. I, I'll have to do that now. You, you, you gave go. me a new goal. I have a new thing Sweet. on my bucket list. There we so, go. There go. Excellent. And it doesn't seem like it's that hard of a bucket list item to check off either. No, that's a pretty easy one. <laughs> oh, all right. So, is there anything that you're currently working on right now that you would like our listeners to know about? I uh, have been really blessed lately with a lot of work, um, and I'm cursed. Uh, parallel with that, I'm cursed by the fact that I can't say no. So, <laughs> I've got more work on my plate right now than I can possibly get done. Don't tell my publishers that. <laughs> I just finished the final edits. On my fourth uh, Pathfinder Tales novel, it'll be out next year. It's called Pirate's Curse. It's another Pirate's novel, of course. And I'm working on the next Pathfinder Tales novel that has yet to be announced or named or talked about at all. Um, But that one's in the works, too. I am finishing up the edits currently for a novel with Privateer Press in their Iron Kingdom world. It's kind of a high fantasy steampunk on steroids world. And it's a lot of fun writing for those guys. I just not too long ago did a a, um, a novella for them. So we've got some stuff coming out there. In the middle of a sh- project with a third-party publisher, Legendary Games, they have a science fantasy AP coming out, a Pathfinder and 5E compatible adventure path called Legendary Planets. And so I'm getting to write uh, short fiction to support the AP, and it's a lot of fun. I'm also working, as you mentioned, with the Ed Greenwood Group. Um, my novel, Hellmaw, came out last year, late last year, and their new world, Storm Talons, is coming out shortly. It's a high fantasy world, and I have, of course, a pirate novel coming out with them uh, fairly, fairly soon, and it's titled The Queen's Scourge. And let's see. Oh, I have one other project in the works with a gaming company that hasn't been announced or named, but that's in a totally different milieu for me. It's it's actually a horror um, novella that's going to be coming out. So that's a that's a new set of suit of clothes I got to try on. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> I also write for my own imprint, Jack's Books, and my wife and I co-write uh, for that. And I have an assassin series, the Weapon of Flesh series, that's coming to a culmination. Um, sixth book is coming out next year, and that that series has actually been fabulously successful on Kindle. And it's pretty much paying all of our bills right now. So that keeps me sailing. Excellent. Now, you have stated that you play RPGs. Off air, you told us that you do quite a bit of DMing, of GMing. How did you first get started in role-playing games? Okay, back when role-playing games were like, nobody knew what the heck they were. I was (laughs) in high school and I was in athletics and I was coming back from an athletic event. Some of my buddies were in the back of the bus and they were playing this game, but there was no board. There was no, all there was was a piece of graph paper with a bunch of pencil marks on it <laughs> and some dice. And I heard a guy saying, well, I'll just throw my magic missiles at the orc. And I was like, your magic what? At the what? You know, because I read some, some Tolkien and I, I knew what an orc was, but a magic missile. And so I sat down and I watched for about five minutes, you know, 
literally five minutes. And I just tapped my friend on the shoulder and said, what the heck is this? And how do I get in <laughs> on it? And within half an hour, I was I had a character I was playing and just loving it. Just absolutely, wow, the pictures came on in my head. And I was like, this is yeah. it. This is the bomb. This is better than any board game I've ever played in my life. You know, I'm actually a character. I have an alter ego here. So that that's just – that's what sold me is the whole art – alter ego thing. I can do things I would never do in real life. So yeah, absolutely hooked. What came first, the desire to play role-playing games or the desire to write for you? Oh, uh, playing role-playing games for sure. I didn't really start writing at all until college. And then I kind of had a bad experience with, well, I don't want to diss anybody or any, any particular educational system, but I got a lot of negative feedback for writing and reading fantasy and science fiction and I got the whole, well, that's not real literature thing. And I kind of, you know, told myself, well, that's not going to go anywhere. And I kind of yeah. not tried, huh. you know, didn't try it again for a long, long, long time. Then many years later, I was in grad school. And like I said, I met my wife running this campaign. It was really long involved campaign. It took about two years to play. I created it all in my own world and my own, you know, plot and characters and everything else like that. And they ran through it. My friends and my wife ran through it. And when I was done, I had a stack of source materials about a foot high. And I thought to myself, well, I got to do something with this. And I taught, started talking to my then girlfriend and, and said, what do you think about making this a novel? And she was like, yeah, totally. I'll help you. And that turned into actually many iterations down the way. Stephen King once was quoted in saying when somebody asked him, how do you become a novel? Uh, how do you become a, a writer? He said, well, first you have to write about a million words of utter crap. And, uh, and that's kind of, that was kind of what I did. I, 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 I wrote a trilogy and the first drafts were just terrible, but I learned to write. <laughs> and over the years, we've rewritten that, rewritten that several times. And finally we self-published it. And, uh, that's now a, uh, a series called the Cornerstones trilogy that I have out on my own imprint. But, uh, but yeah, that all started out as a game. So it gave me the chops to sit down and, and realize that I could, I could churn out a hundred thousand word novel that's fantastic i you know now nowadays we wouldn't have a stack of you know a foot tall worth of source material we would have you know 100 megabytes or gigabytes oh yeah my, my hard drive is a, is a absolute <laughs> trash heap full of dnd the life the life of a dm right well one of the huge perks of of writing for these guys one of the very first things you do when a publisher asks you to write for them or you ask to write for them is you ask for source materials and they'll give you PDFs of whatever books you want. And so, yeah, I have a hard – I probably have 10, 12 gigs of just source materials for several different games that I've written for. <laughs> that's so awesome. it's a lot of fun. That's fantastic. But you get in, hit deep, and it's really hard to wade through it all and, and make a story that's a story without – you know, you can't hear the dice roll when you're, when you're reading it. But to keep everything writing, – writing tie-in fiction is kind of tough, especially for games because there's a fine line between – you know, using words like hit points and armor class, you cannot, you know, <laughs> and still getting the point across. So our last question that we have for you is a mystery question. Chris, you had no way of knowing what was coming, what this question was going to be. Uh, so we've, we are expecting a very interesting answer, and I think you'll, I think you'll answer appropriately. <laughs> Uh, it comes from one of our Patreon dragons, uh, somebody that supports us on Patreon. It's from Frotastic, and he writes in, If you were to become a sentient magical artifact, 
what inclinations would you have and what type of item would you oh, be? Oh, man. I love it. Hmm. I think I would be a magical weapon that sex changed the user. <laughs> uh, is it just like a random chaos roll that they have to make? So, yeah, big bad barbarian guy picks up the sword and, you're a girl. Oh, boy. <laughs> you could even add in the, the effect that it does it randomly. You have to, like, roll a dice every once in a while and it just converts you back. Yeah, yeah, you, you could do again. that, you know. You just never know what it's going to be. Or species or sex or both at the same time. You're now a female dwarf. You're now a male orc. You're now a, yeah. We could change that, you know. Every day you're somebody new. That would be fun. Now, I'm wondering, <laughs> Chris, if, like, this is, this is totally about, like, you become this magical item you're becoming a magical item that totally just messes with your players. Yep. So I'm wondering about your GMing style. Oh, I don't torture them <laughs> I think them you'd too be a badly. fun GM. <laughs> well, that, so then my question is, would the it being sentient, would, you, would it just like be able to talk and make fun of them the whole time? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, oh, think, awesome. do you think what you're wearing really sets off your eyes like it should, young lady? <laughs> you know, things like that. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's start talking about what we came here to talk about today. We're talking about character backgrounds and how they can become part of the character's future. And so the whole idea of this is that when we start a new campaign, when we start a new adventure as DMs, as GMs, our players... I mean, we all know those players who sit down and they create backgrounds that have like, it's like three pages long. Some players, it's just like, eh, I didn't think of a background. Some players keep it to like a paragraph, but all different players have these ideas of backgrounds and bring them to the table of what their characters have done in the past. And so how do we as DMs take that and those backgrounds usually are pointing towards some sort of a future in that character's mind, in that player's mind. How do we as DMs take that and run with that in our stories in a healthy way? And so I, I guess the first thing that I'd like to talk about is, are character backgrounds important? Is there an importance to character backgrounds? Well, I think so. But one thing I see, I, I play with an interesting group right now. Um, I play with uh, one young woman who is is totally into the character backgrounds every character she mm -hmm. creates she has the three pages and yeah <laughs> and why she's doing what she's doing and why she ran away from home or, or you know whatever why she's doing what she's doing and then the other person is my wife and she's kind of in the middle she she'll do mm -hmm. a little bit of background but she kind of is developmental in her character and so as the story progresses she will build that character up and i know that's the way she is because that's the way we write together and the third guy, he, he just likes to play. He'll kind of sketch around the character, but I always like to push him a little bit as far as, okay, this is the way your character's been playing, so this is the way your character, you know, this is has to be part of your character now, right? If he's always rescuing the damsel in distress, or the dude in distress for that matter, he's created a typical behavior for that character, so that becomes a part of that character. But one thing I've found personally is you can't force people you can't force players to be backgrounders. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they're just a gamer and they just like to play and they just like to pick the pocket and the lock and, and explore the room and steal the treasure, and that's what they like to do, and you have other supporting characters that are more into the plot of the game and think, well, fine. You know, everybody plays their own way. I do like to push people a little bit and make suggestions, 
but I'm not going to force somebody into a into a keyhole that doesn't fit. Yeah, it's encouraging rather than forcing. It's right, trying exactly. to help players to like some players are never going to want to do that, but some players just they haven't had that experience and as a DM we can encourage that because we're trying to show them that oh, like this background and I think that's an important thing is as a DM if we're going to encourage that, we need to remember and know what their backgrounds are so that we can honor them in the future and help right. them to develop. And that's a one word you're, you're using, which is totally appropriate for this is develop those characters. Right, um, right. And I think that's, that's the key factor is encouraging it. So it sounds like Chris, you would say that character backgrounds sound like they're, they are pretty important to you. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think, I think the more you can encourage it, the more the player gets out of the game Yeah. because that's what I got out of it. Like I said, initially, when I, once I realized that I could be a character, that I could create this person who I could live through, that, that's what makes the game fun for me. I mean, I, I play the character. And not to say that I'm not out for the gold and, and picking the locks and searching the room or whatever, but what I really enjoy is how, how would this person react in that situation? I'm not, you know, I don't like to be dumb about it. I don't like to create characters that do the wrong thing. I, I have difficulty with the whole paladin thing sometimes, you know. Oh, I'll charge into battle fearlessly. Are you crazy? Okay, <laughs> stupid is one thing. Crazy is something else entirely, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think something that you touched on a little bit, Chris, which is uh... – you said that in the you know the example of the rogue who always likes to go and save the damsel or the dude in distress, in a way they're kind of you know they may not have come to the the table uh, like the one girl that you have in your group with three pages worth of backstory stuff, but in that moment what you said was is remembering what they've done already in the game and in a way they're kind of writing a background for their character anytime they go and do something. Correct. I mean the minute the minute you're done with going through that dungeon. You've written a background. It's something right. in the past. It's history that you can draw on as the DM. And so mm. in those moments, you know, if you were to bring back up that same damsel or dude in distress later, and now he's the person that, you know, is or she's the person that is holding somebody else as a damsel or dude in distress. Well, now you have background to play with. You have a connection with this character that they're going to have to make a hard choice. Do they go with the person they're saving the damsel or dude in distress or do they help out the former, you know, that they already helped out, you know, how did, right. how does that work out? And because of you paying attention to the backgrounds that they already created in the game, you're creating an interesting moment predicament for your players, just based off of what you've seen them writing as their quote unquote background at this point. Right. I take a lot of notes uh, during the, and that way it becomes, like I said, developmental. I want to kick back to the writing things because I'm the same way as a writer. I'm a character writer, but never once have I started a story and created this character and the character was fully fleshed out and perfect? I have, you know, pretty well in my head and on paper decided who this character is. But once the story begins and things start happening, things push people in different ways. I'm also an outliner, so I have an outline of the story. But when characters do things, and this is me being a writer, that you don't expect, and me being a GM, players do things that you don't expect them to do. That develops their characters. So you jot that down, and that's now part of the canon for that character. I know that one thing that was stated was, I mean, Chris, just from you talking, like it's clear that you really push and you encourage in a healthy way your players to work on backgrounds and work on like 
asking them questions. That's something that we've talked about on this show is as a DM asking the players questions after session, during session about like, well, like, I'd like to really understand why your character did this or what their thought process is about this. And if you know their backgrounds, I mean, that's something that really you can like pull on and say, you know, this happened in game tonight. And that really, to me, to me as the DM, I'm wondering how with your character's background of this incident, how that affects him currently in his thought process with that. And I think that something that as DMs, we should really realize is that a character background, it really is important. I mean, it shows a player's interest in their character. And if we if we write off a character's background, if we go, eh, that doesn't really work with this story that I am DMing, that I'm running, I don't really see how I can like bring that back. You're taking a really huge risk because you might be writing, writing off that player's interest in your story. Right. And I think it's really important to recognize that the player has worked on this background. They've they've developed it because this is their interest right. in their character and they want to see it kind of keep going. And I, I think that you, Chris, also mentioned that there's a player that you play with that doesn't really care to make backgrounds. Right. I think some DMs might love that because I think some DMs maybe have had situations where players have created backgrounds for their characters and they haven't been able to figure out a healthy way to make it work with their story. And so maybe that's something we can work on and talk about together is how do we as DMs, what are some strategies, what are some skills, what are some ways that we can honor player backgrounds and not just throw out the script of like what our story is, but like to be flexible, to bring honor to those right. things. I think the most important thing is, is to know, everybody knows what kind of a game we're going to play to start with. A perfect example of this is I started GMing appropriately, the Skull and Shackles AP with Pathfinder. Now, up front, the player guide says, your characters have to want to be pirates to really succeed in this AP. The idea of somebody playing a lawful good character, you know, a do-gooder, in that milieu just isn't going to work. Because pirates are, by definition, violent criminals, right? So I'm all over the chaotic good, chaotic neutral, even, even neutral good. I'm not wild about people playing chaotic evil characters at all, really. You know, but I can't say no to that, especially in that milieu. But I think it's important that everyone up front knows what kind of a game we're going to be playing here so that they can, they can, the players can create the character that they think will fit into this. And during the character creation process, the GM needs to sit down with them and say, okay, if the GM does not understand how this person thinks this character is going to work in this story, find the heck out, you know, ask the question. So... This is a quest into, you know, hell, and you're creating a rogue. Do you think you're going to steal the devil's gold or something? What's going on here? You know, you see what I mean? Or maybe the, maybe the guy just wants to play a rogue, and, and he says, no, I'm going to hide from the devil. <laughs> and that makes sense. He's like, okay, you're <laughs> abject coward. I totally get it. He says, ah, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and so a little conversation before, but then as the story progresses, for sure, how can you encourage people? Well, you know, more than anything, and 
I've got kind of a snarky sense of humor. So I try to use humor or not really embarrassing situations, but situations that people don't expect. There's always an NP characters with things like humor and interesting situations that'll make them kind of make a stake, you know, go one way or the other. So Chris, when you encourage your characters to to work on those things with uh, their backgrounds, like how do you how do you do that? Have do you I know one thing that we as the Dungeon Master's block, we always really try to encourage the DMs out there to do is to have like a character creation night before a campaign. Everybody sits around a table together and it's it's not that you as the DM are controlling the characters and controlling the players creating their characters, but it's that you're there to help and to help flesh out their backgrounds in a healthy way rather than saying, here, I don't like that idea, let's do this but embracing and saying, yeah, that's sweet. And you can go on from that point. And if they say, hey, I want to be a thief, you can do a number of things. You can say, that's awesome that you want to be a thief. And you say that you want to be part of a thieves guild. Well, there is a thieves guild in the city that works for you. Uh, As the DM, I know of this Thieves Guild. Let's make you a part of this. And boom, your PC is connected to the world and your player is already connected and invested in your world because of that. Or even beyond that, you can say, you want to be part of a Thieves Guild? Awesome. Why don't we create a Thieves Guild for my world together, giving your player agency and helping him once again gain a stake in the world. And together then you flesh this out, this this Thieves Guild and their thought process and what their goals are. And it can really start to help you as a DM understand who this PC is that that player has created. I think there's a number of ways. What kind of other ways do you use to to bring that to light with your players? Having it up front like that is great. It helps the, the player decide where he wants to go with his character. And like you said, it gives them agency in the story. But I would I would warn about giving too much away. You know what yeah. I mean? You don't want to give too much away about – because, I mean, you mentioned joining the Thieves Guild and creating it. and uh, That's a whole adventure right there. You know what I mean? So by all means, I will, I will take – if it's, especially if it's an AP, if it's something somebody else has published – I will take that and read through it and, and then look at, look at how my players have created characters. And then I'll kind of twist the events or NPCs or how people in the story interact with them, with the players, to help them develop personas. Because I do a lot more of it in-game than pre-game, but I think it's important to know pre-game what type of characters and whatever backgrounds they want and what they expect from from the adventure. If it's an urban adventure, well yeah, you better have a rogue, you know, in the group. And if and if they roll up three clerics, you might want to suggest to them, "Wait a second, you guys are going into a big urban adventure with three clerics." And then they say, "Well, yeah, we want to start a temple of something or something and do this." And that could give you a whole another idea. So, not to say no, but just to say, "You sure about this?" Because, you know, three of the same types of characters in the same adventure kind of be, you know, but I've had people do that. I've had people, hey, we all want to be this or that. Okay, cool. Well, and I think I think in those moments, too, it, it offers a unique opportunity to try and figure out a way to overcome some of those story things that they're going to have to come up against. Right, exactly. That makes for some really interesting role playing where they might have to go out and 
potentially hire a mercenary and then you have to figure out well what you know you have to do interviews and you have to figure out is this person like do things click well are they just in it for themselves you know how does this all work out and that in and of itself could set you on a whole nother story arc that you possibly wouldn't even have thought about Uh, for instance is if you have players who want to all be the heroes and they all roll up lawful good characters you might not really force them but get to the point where in the game they have to interact with some nefarious types and for the greater good they have to not really join the thieves but at least interact with them and not go all yo-ho we're going to arrest you all and take you to the authorities because hey if you do that the whole the whole plot falls apart you know what i mean And they have to know that. Yeah, are we okay wading into the gray? Right. Chris, I know that I have players that will pretty much tell me their thoughts about where they foresee their character being at the end of the campaign. Like, well, I've created this druid, and he comes from this race of people that are like really revered druids and are ruled by a druid. I would love to get to the point at the end of the campaign where I am the leader of that druid group. Uh, just in a, as an example, like I've had players that go, you know, that's that's kind of my my end goal. This is these are some of my goals for this character as right. a as a DM. Uh, first, do you have players that kind of give you that insight? And if if you get that kind of insight from a player, how does that make you plan out a story or plan out like? I would like to see this character get to this point or maybe they end up somewhere a little bit different. But like, do you kind of like think about that and plan for that? Definitely. If, if they have that kind of future plans, I've only really had that happen to me once or twice where I have somebody that, that gives me that much forethought, not just this is who my character is. This is their whole background. This is why they're here and what they're doing. But this is what I want to do in the future. That's only like happened to me once or twice. Mm. And it's great when they do. Because then you can kind of nurture that, and also it's important to challenge that yeah. throughout the story. Now, we all like playing games for two reasons. It's fun to be with our friends, and, and, and there's always humor that involves in it. But also we want to be challenged. But we also don't want to just lose immediately. There's you know the, the whole oh yeah, I killed all the characters in the first adventure thing. Well, what, what was the fun in that as far as I'm concerned as a GM? Why would I want to TPK the whole group in the first adventure? All I'm doing is making people upset. But I also don't want the Monty Hall dungeon. You, you know what that is. The, you know, open the door, take the treasure, move on. Open the next door, take the treasure, move on. That kind of thing. So we have to challenge them with enough close calls and maybe a few character deaths that really pushes them to to play their characters and play the game and know the rules and get to the goals that they want for their characters without, like I said, TPKing everybody. <laughs> and that's that's the hardest line, one of the hardest lines to, to walk as a GM is how do I challenge them without killing them? <laughs> Just outright, you know what I mean? Well, I think the reality is too, I mean, you can look at real life examples where Somebody in high school said, yeah, I wanted to grow up to be a physical therapist or something like that. And then through life experience, obviously not going into a dungeon and almost dying, most likely. But something happens where your future as a quote unquote physical therapist has now changed. And now you're 
doing engineering of some, you know, it happens all the time in our world because of challenges that we either see on the news or we, you know, we experience in our studies or whatever it is that we just realize we don't want to do that anymore. So somebody may want to join a rogues guild. That may be their lifelong dream is to become the top of the rogues guild. Well, they get into it. Something happens and it's just like, well, I don't want to do this. anymore. maybe I want to not be a part of that anymore because of what I've learned. And that happens all the time in real life. And I think it's a good idea to challenge your players' backstories if they have them that far planned out just to see what sh- how things shake up. That's a very interesting thing you can do is is if they want to be the head of the church, well, hey, they they uncover the whole corrupt underside of the church. Yeah. If they want to be part of the Thieves' Guild, they find out that the Thieves' Guild is run by a bunch of murdering thugs. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I mean? So it challenges their preconceived notion of what they're going to achieve and maybe maybe they want to be now really want to be the head of the church because they're going to root out all the corruption or they're going to chase change the thieves guild and say hey we're not into murder we're into like making money so i love this idea i mean this is exactly what that example i gave with the druid leading his people like as the lead druid like that's something chris i'm sure you you knew what i was talking about oh yeah that i did in a past campaign with with my players one of the characters he did end up in the end of the campaign as the leader of his people group as the head druid this was his goal for his character this was his goal and he ended up in this spot and from the very get-go of the campaign he knew that his people they were a form of satyrs that they were a stubborn stubborn people and he knew that they actually weren't following their god in the correct way and he was placed in that position and then he became he had this amazing awesome battle where he led his people into battle and it was this the good side of that goal and then in the end he realized these people are they don't want me to actually lead lead them they just want me to do what they want me to do almost like a, a figure of power that but if i say hey let's go do this because this is what our god actually wants and they don't want to do it they're not going to, they're just going to yell. They're going to scream. They don't want to actually follow me. And it became kind of this frustrating in a good way. I know that he looks back on it now and he's like, yeah, that wasn't in the moment. That was kind of frustrating. But now I look back on that and that was a really, really pivotal point. And he like loves that. But I I think the other side of that coin is as DMs, we have to be careful not to make that the standard, like every single time a character gets their character goal, go, Oh, what's the bad side of this? How do we right. make them like rethink this? Sometimes it's just about saying, well done. You made it to this goal. You did it. Your character's here. Well done. Yeah. But I was, I would always challenge them in their preconceived notions of that goal, some way, shape or form, you know, somewhere along the way. Definitely. Yeah, you had a you had a thing on here on side quests and, you know, doing what we just kind of did with that last question was, you know, hey, there goes the rabbit, let's chase it. And that brings up the whole flexible GMing thing and shooting from the hip and I got to tell you, I love doing that as a GM. That is one of my most favorite things because you you have to realize you cannot railroad characters. If they're not horses, they're mules. If the harder you push, they're going to push back. You see what I mean? <laughs> That's a fantastic analogy. So what does it. that look like for you as a as a DM with side quests and being flexible, like with character backgrounds? As far as with character backgrounds go, if if somebody says this is this is what my character wants to do, and I'm not going to chase the bad guy right here, I'm going to go do that. We'll just okay, let's go do that. 
And <laughs> the fun part for me is I get to make all this stuff up on the fly because this usually happens in the middle of, of, a, of a gaming session, right? And you haven't, you oh, haven't yeah. prepared anything in that regard. So you literally have to make stuff up on the fly. So I'll, I will pull a couple of NPCs out of nowhere. Uh, there's lots of resources for things like that. Just I'm not trying to sell anybody anything, but um, Paizo puts out an NPC codex. So there's this huge reservoir of characters. You can just, they're pre-made, boom. I need a level five ranger, bang, you got one. And, uh, and you can create a persona for them in your head as you're going. And maybe they need to hire someone to chase this, this goal this person has or something like that. And you can throw another, another uh, NPC in there. And then gently, ever so gently, as they're achieving that goal or chasing that goal or finding out that that goal maybe isn't what they want to chase, then you have to ever so gently push them back toward the story that needs to be told here. And that can happen lots of ways. They can get all kinds of, you know, secret messages. Some cataclysmic or attack can happen that they have to intervene in to try to get them back on track. But once again, gently. You know what I mean? You can't railroad characters. Because they're going to see what you're doing and go, no, we'll go this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Dungeon Master's block today. If people would like to get in contact with you, share stories about this exact topic that we've just covered, where would be a place or maybe a couple places, if you're willing, that they could get in contact with you? I am, of course, on Facebook. My Twitter handle is Chris A. Jackson one the numeral one. And on Facebook, make sure you look for Chris A. Jackson. There's too many Chris Jacksons out there, trust me. Um, <laughs> and uh, you'll see, a, 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 you know, if you want to look for me on Facebook, my, my icon picture is a guy in a slouch hat sitting in the sand with his toes in the sand in the Caribbean with a little white dog at his feet. That's me. And that's what I, Hard that's what I do, you know, drink in his hand, his toes in the sand. That's me. The other place you can find me is simple. It's my website. It's Jack's Books. That's J-A-X-Books.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us this week. We really appreciate it and hope to have you back on in the future. Well, that's been this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you've enjoyed this discussion on character backgrounds and how to make them part of your PC's future and thinking about your character's goals and just being a flexible GM and paying honor to both those characters, but more importantly, to the players who created them. Chris, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, if they'd like to write us an email, where can they reach us? Yeah, you can reach us at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. You can also go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and you'll get a shout-out in a future episode, just like the two at the beginning of this episode got. We would greatly appreciate it. It helps us get out in front of more people and and for them to know that we are worth listening to. You can also find us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, and various other podcasting apps for Android. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, that's where you need to go. We have a Patreon member shout out of this week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to... 
Russell Tessaker. Thank you so much, Russell, for your Patreon support. Russell is a feared bronze dragon, yes. so fear him as he's wandering around the Twitter sphere and Patreon as well. Thank you so much, Russell. Thanks, Russell. The Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. If you would like to find out more shows that we have that are a part of the Block Party Podcast Network, go to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. There you can find shows like GM Showcase, another podcast called Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. So head on over there if you can't get enough fix of the Block Party Podcast Network shows. That's been this episode. We are shutting everything down here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place that you come to hear us talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.